This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, November 16th. I'm Robert Bluey. And I'm Virginia Allen. Today, we welcome New Mexico's Congresswoman-elect, Yvette Harrell, to the show to discuss her policy priorities to protect American jobs, expand the economy, and secure our southern border. We also read your letters to the editor and share a good news story about a young athlete with Down syndrome who has just set a Guinness Book of World Record. Before we get to today's show, Rob and I want to tell you about a powerful resource available for you at the Heritage Foundation, the Voter Fraud Database. As of today, the Heritage Foundation has documented 1,298 instances of voter fraud, 1,085 criminal convictions, and 48 civil penalties. The Voter Fraud Database presents a sampling of proven election fraud cases from across the country, and it demonstrates the many ways in which voter fraud is committed each year and impacting the outcome of elections. If you are a conservative who is interested in election integrity, we encourage you to check out the database at heritage.org slash voter fraud. Now stay tuned for today's show coming up next. I am so honored to welcome Congresswoman-elect Yvette Harrell to the show. Congresswoman-elect, thank you so much for being here today. I am delighted. Thank you for inviting me and having me on. Well, a huge congratulations to you on winning your race in New Mexico. So, so exciting. Uh, We are just thrilled for you. You know what? It was... uh, really a blessing. Um, I just, we prayed hard, but we worked hard and we had an incredible team uh, that worked really tirelessly, but we also couldn't, you know, couldn't have asked for better grassroots. I mean, people from all over the district helped in so many ways. It was, you know, signs or stuffing envelopes or knocking doors or making phone calls. And it was really a group effort, but I am so excited to have earned their support and their votes. And I'm ready to get to Washington and represent New Mexico. Well, in come January, you will be headed to Washington, D.C. to do just that, to represent the 2nd District of New Mexico. But I want to begin by just talking a little bit about you and your journey into deciding to to run for Congress. You, You grew up in New Mexico, correct? I did. I was actually born and raised in New Mexico, and I lived here all my life. My parents still live here, and I've been in business for myself uh, for the last 20 years. But really what got me interested, very interested in politics, and I don't think this is unique to just me, after 9-11, you know, to wake up and realize that our nation was under attack. And I think right then a lot of people decided it's time to get one more engaged in who's making the decisions for us, but also, you know, in church, I grew up in a Christian uh, family. And of course that 9-11 event made me want to get more engaged with even getting back into church. And um, and so then I had the opportunity to work as a legislative assistant in Santa Fe for two years. And after doing that, I actually ran for office for uh, the New Mexico House uh, 51 was the house seat. And I served for eight, uh, eight years, four terms. And then I gave up that seat to run for this office in 2018. And so 2020 was a rematch for us. And I'm just grateful that we won. But it's just fascinating to see. And I don't know if everybody understands just how much involvement government has in our everyday lives, our day-to-day lives. It's not just business or industry, it's everything. So I I do believe, again, it's just, it's important to know who's making those decisions for us on every level of government. Well, and as a business owner, I think you begin to realize that 
firsthand. You, you mentioned working in business and you really begin to see, you know, through various regulations and trying to, to grow something from the ground up that the government has a lot of say in either how well that'll work out or how many hoops you're going to have to jump through. They truly do. And, you know, and I'm really uh, fearful for the small businesses all over the country, but naturally in our state, because the cost of doing business doesn't go away, even in a pandemic. And so this has been very concerning to me. But you're right, just the, the regulatory, the heavy hand, the restrictions, the licensing, the timeframes, um, you know, and I'm a pusher for free markets, for federalism, for more people, less government. And I think that over the last several months in our state, we've seen uh, decisions being made that are affecting our businesses, our employees, really affecting every aspect of New Mexico. And it's not been pleasant. Um, we've seen winners and losers, some stores getting to stay open, the smaller, you know, mall pop shops having to close. Um, it's been the governor's discretion and it's very, it's been very hurtful for a lot of our small businesses, our restaurants, you know, the gyms, the, um, you know, all these, you know, the nail salons, you name it. And we've all seen uh, quite a hardship hit on New Mexico. And of course, I know that's happening around the nation. But again, it just exemplifies how much government is involved with our day to day lives. So as you look towards uh, taking on this role as Congresswoman for New Mexico, what are your plans and thoughts for how you are going to ensure that the people of New Mexico do have every opportunity to pursue starting businesses, to be entrepreneurs, and to have that freedom to grow their businesses? Right. And, you know, that's a great question. I campaigned on this. Number one, it's about keeping the people of New Mexico at the forefront. And really, it's people over politics. But what we can do, I, I mean, I can think of a number of things right off the bat. Obviously, we have got to make sure that we've got the good relationship partnerships going from federal, state to local level. But on the federal level, and I've been impressed to see, you know, our GDP numbers going through the roof, even despite what we're dealing with in terms of the COVID-19. But we have got to look at ways of giving the small business owners the tools they need. We need to look at really reforming the, the cost of health care. And we can do so while protecting pre-existing conditions. The regulatory issues have been a huge burden, especially on our natural resources, our industries that, that come from natural resources here in the state. But you know, I just look at the big picture and think, let's expand those tax cuts. Let's make sure that our business owners are keeping more money into their businesses and infusing it into the business and growing it. And we're also allowing uh, employees to have more money in their pockets. But I think if we start working more collectively and understand that if we can just move government to a point where we can allow the free market to really breathe and grow and we can see that prosperity starting to happen. And I believe we can do this in a safe manner. I know we're still going through the pandemic, but we have an economy that I believe we also have a responsibility to uh, take care of. And so this is things that are you know, really simple in terms of talking about them. So it's time to get to Washington and start putting some of those ideas into action. Yeah, absolutely. It's the both and we've talked a lot at the Heritage Foundation about the importance of protecting both lives and livelihoods throughout this pandemic. Right. And it requires both 100%. <laughs> uh, right. now, yeah, we've seen that in New Mexico, you know, where we, we're trying to protect uh, the lives of people, but I've said it over and over, yes, the government does have that responsibility to the health, safety, and welfare of the economy, but like you just mentioned, we also have that same responsibility to the people, 
and in our state, what we're seeing is just a suicide rate that is growing faster than we should see it grow. Our unemployment rate is staying high while our regional partners, our regional states are seeing somewhat of a decline because they're putting people back to work. So, you know, it's a balancing act, but we've got to make sure that we're looking at good policies and good decisions that benefit everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what was the business that, that you ran in uh, New Mexico? If you would just share a little bit about that. Yeah, so for the last many years, I've actually been in real estate, real estate investing. I was actually flipping houses before it was a, a cool TV show. Um, <laughs> before so Chip been, and Joanna started doing it. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I, I just, I missed the mark. I gosh darn. But um, I, I'm blessed because our, our family, you know, my dad was self-employed and uh, he had a real estate and construction business and insurance. And so uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And I've been really blessed to be able to have my own endeavors and invest in property, real estate contracts, those kinds of things. And then another little fun fact that people don't know so much about me is I'm a huge animal lover, but I actually raised and trained dogs and showed dogs for a number of years and, and owned a really great boarding kennel. Um, and so the dogs are always my passion. And uh, But that was a fun opportunity to do that. But as, as far as now, I've been in real estate for the last uh, 15 plus years. And like I said, uh, had the opportunity to invest in property and flip homes before it became uh, so exciting on TV. And now I watch, uh, you know, HGTV and get ideas for future opportunities, but I haven't been able to do too many with all the campaigning going on. Sure. You, you've been a little busy. That's understandable. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> now, I want to ask you um, about one of the issues that I know you're passionate about, and that is border security. And yeah. I think there, you know, we've been talking about the economy and there is this link between protecting and securing our borders and how that then impacts the economy. And when you have uh, massive numbers of individuals coming over illegally, that's obviously going to take an economic toll. So why, why are you uh, so passionate about and why have you really campaigned on the fact that um, you know, we, we want to welcome legal immigrants to this country? That's something that we've always done. It's a part yes. of you know, fulfilling that American dream but we want those individuals to enter legally. Right, and that's an important issue, especially living in New Mexico where we have the southern border, you know, all along the uh, southern part of this district. We have to continue to protect the uh, national security. And it's not just about people coming here illegally and taking on jobs and, and benefiting from uh, services that our taxpaying American citizens should be benefiting from. But we also have to look at the human trafficking, the drug trafficking. The That's not just a New Mexico issue. That's an American issue. So I have been very supportive of continuing to build the border wall, especially in infusing the technologies that they can use and help our Border Patrol and ICE agents with the funding they need, the tools they need. In terms of the uh, the immigration system, we have heard it talked about for decades, but we haven't seen any real reform. And you are absolutely right, because there are people that have skill sets that we are in need of, and it's not just unique to New Mexico, it's national, but by and large, you know, our ag industries are really hurting because they're not producing up to 100% capacity. Our dairies, farmer, our farmers, ranchers, because they don't have a workforce. And sadly, even in this time of pandemic, when we're seeing a lot of people being laid off, many people do not want to go to work in the ag industry. So we've got to ensure that we're making it easier for our ag uh, owners to hire people coming through the system 
legally. And then let's take some major steps to ensure that one, those that want to be here can do so without waiting in line for 10 or 15 years, that they really are here with the skill set to live the American dream. And then let's crack down and stop rewarding bad behavior because what we're seeing is people crossing over, benefiting from school, education, you know, housing. I mean, I know that there was even uh, some money that I don't think it passed, but in the COVID package for illegals. And that's very harmful to the American citizen who's right now struggling to get by and, and keep food on the table for their families. Yeah, it's really, really such a critical it is. issue. Now, one of the other um, topics that actually came up during uh, the presidential debates, it came up during the last one, is that of um, the oil industry. And I know right. that New Mexico has a, a significant um, oil and gas export. And it was, it was a little concerning that um, former Vice President Joe Biden said that you know, he would, his quote was, I would transition from the oil industry. Is yeah. this concerning to you? Oh, it's absolutely. It's not only concerning to me, it's concerning to, you know, all of New Mexico because 40 plus percent of our general revenue dollars come from the oil and gas industry. And then when you start looking at the jobs that are directly and indirectly related to that industry, we're talking you know, hundreds of thousands of jobs. And yes, I mean, this is the state's bread and butter. The president ran on a, on a platform of being energy independent. New Mexico has two of the largest producing counties in the nation. And so to can look at banning fracking or transitioning into an all green energy, number one, it's not affordable, it's not practical, it's not science-based. I think we're looking at a Green New Deal or some form of legislation that really is not conducive to what our what our fossil fuels look like and what our natural resources are in the state. But it's it's very concerning. And we understand we've seen a smaller carbon footprint, larger production and less emissions out of New Mexico and other areas of the country in the last decade. So science and technology and innovation is really driving the ability for us to use our fossil fuels and this industry in a clean way. And the other thing people don't understand is natural gas is a very clean energy source. It's reliable. We're not talking about nuclear energy, but these are all components of New Mexico that number one, employ so many people, help our general revenue fund. And this is something that we're all coming together going, we don't wanna be reliant on oil and gas from foreign nations. It's not as clean, it's more expensive. So in a state like New Mexico, where we are heavy oil and gas producers, uh, these are things that are at the top of the conversation. And after that debate, um, just before the election with President Trump and uh, Vice President Joe Biden, it was very concerning. And we saw major vo voter turnout. And I believe people were voting for their jobs at that point because they understood that this decision was going to come down to possibly being open for business or shut indefinitely and having a job you know, in the next number of months or not. So it's, it's something that we talk about here often and, uh, and we definitely now will have a seat at the table, somebody who's been an advocate and supporter of the industry as a state representative and now as Congresswoman elect. Yeah, oh, we are so, so relieved in so many ways that you do have a seat at that table uh, and to really fight for these issues yeah. that affect everyday Americans. I know that you are such a lover of freedom and preserving the ideals that our nation was founded upon. 
and yes. you've been involved with uh, Heritage Action for America, which is the, the grassroots arm of yeah. the Heritage Foundation. You're a sentinel for them. They work with thousands of Americans across yes. the country to engage them in political activism in order to further those principles of liberty. So if you would, just tell us uh, a little bit about the ways that you've been involved with Heritage Action for America uh, in New Mexico. Well, you know, even as a state representative, I was blessed to be able to get engaged with Heritage. Um, to, and the resources, the people, the resources, it's just incredible. And I, I learned right away that, you know, I when I served in the New Mexico House, we only had the majority for one term. So we were in the minority. And I learned very quickly that the resources of people, even on the federal level, because they're still looking at policies that affect the, the nation and affect the individual states, and to be able to be involved, share those same values, those ideas, and come up with ways to communicate those and, and uh, draft legislation that would benefit and protect our values, our constitution, our freedom, and federalism. Because these are things that I honestly don't think we're seeing taught in our school systems around the nation. Um, kids don't understand federalism. They don't understand the constitution and really what makes this a, a nation, the best nation in the country, in the, I mean, in the world. And so to have uh, the idea of sharing and kicking around ideas and policies with like-minded people so we can protect the America we love is there, there's no way to put a price on that. And I'm just so grateful to have been engaged and found people that I thought I was the only one, you know, in New Mexico, not so many people speak up about federalism and, and uh, just being able to join the team and be a part of the Sentinels and realize that, wow, there's a lot more of us now. We just need to stand together and really protect the Constitution and America we love and our free market, our future, really, quite frankly. Yeah, you know, I think that's always such a beautiful moment when you do realize like, oh, I'm not the only one. There are right. other Americans that are so passionate about defending liberty and fighting for the principles that our country was founded upon. Right. And we, I think we saw that a lot in New Mexico in terms of the voter turnout. Um, because like I said, you know, we had gotten a taste of really what it would look like in a socialistic country. I mean, when you're having one person dictate who's open, who's closed, when you can go to church, when you, when you can educate the kids, I mean, everything, like I said earlier, that touches our lives on a day-to-day -day basis, that didn't set well. And so I, I think voters around the nation are starting to understand that, you know, our constitution, our liberties are really at stake here. This, and in fact, my campaign the last several weeks was, look, this is way bigger than Yvette Harrell for Congress. This is about standing up for one nation under God. This is about fighting for our constitution, for second amendment, you know, for free markets, federalism, clearly the future of our nation. I said, because I want our kids and our grandkids and our future generations to have the same opportunities for prosperity as, as we have all had. And, and I know too many people sacrificed so that we would have the opportunity to vote. And, and to live in a free country. And so this, this has become a, a, a real talking point throughout our district as we realize what has really been at stake over the last number of years, but now people really waking up to the idea of, okay, maybe we took advantage of living in this free nation and it's time to exercise that right to keep this nation where we want it by going to the ballot box. Yeah, it, it's a weighty reality when you realize yes. 
wow, freedom really is not guaranteed. It's something that with every generation, as Reagan said, we have to fight for. One generation away from, yeah, exactly. And so there were, you know, so many conversations, what I felt were very refreshing um, traveling around the district because it, the dialogue shifted uh, from early on in the campaign, even in the primary from, you know, border security or second amendment or, you know, things that we would typically be talking about to, what about our constitutional rights? What about our freedoms? We're, you know, we don't like the governor telling us we can't go to church or we can't open our doors or we can't occupy more than 20% in a business setting. And, and that started, I think, ringing true. And that wasn't a, a political party issue. That was a patriot issue. That was a people issue where all people of all races and all party affiliations started understanding that maybe this isn't going the way we thought it was. And I, I've said for many years, I believe conservatives as a whole got a little bit complacent in government, um, didn't like you know, taking God out of schools, didn't like some of the changes that were being made kind of incrementally. And now we wake up and realize that I believe these 2020 elections for the House seats, for the Senate seats, for the presidential, and even down ballot into our state, individual states for House and Senate seats are, are really critical and it's going to make a big difference on the direction of our nation and our individual state. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It makes a huge difference. It has been encouraging though. I've been personally really encouraged to see so many new uh, conservatives elected to the House, specifically conservative women. You're one of 13 uh, conservative women who in January will be taking those seats in the House. Uh, and that is has such an incredible and, and huge impact for generations to come. And I it want does. to ask you, you're, um, you are one of now uh, three uh, Native American women who are serving in the house. And, and what is that like to be, you know, only the third uh, Native American woman to be, to be serving in the U.S. House of Representatives? Yeah, you know what, and I'm I'm very proud of my heritage. I am enrolled in the Cherokee Nation, um, but you know, honestly, we didn't let gender or race be a topic in our campaign. I am an American citizen first, a New Mexican, and really, I I signed up to represent all Americans and all New Mexicans, and regardless of race. But it is it is exciting. But we never did any type of identity politics or even spoke about it because I really didn't want to get caught up in that race thing throughout. I wanted people to know me as a candidate, as a Christian, as a person who will bring the values of the second congressional to Washington, D.C. Um, but it is exciting. And, you know, being enrolled, I, again, am, I'm very proud of our heritage, my family's heritage. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's just an exciting year because, like you just said, there are so many women uh, that stepped up to the plate to, to run and so many that are winning their seats. And it's you know, it's neat that we will have a freshman class with so many women and, and I've gotten to meet most of them. And I think we're ready to, you know, get to work and roll up our sleeves and, and lend our hand in, in helping uh, direct the uh, nation to the, to the areas that we think it needs help and really get our voices heard as, as not as just women, but as conservatives that want to make sure that we're saving and protecting our constitution. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's certainly an exciting time in history. I know that, uh, you know, often politicians will talk about, you know, when, when I first arrive on my first day, I want to prioritize taking this action. Are there things that are at the top of your list that you say, you know, right away, when I get to DC, I want to focus on this? 
Well, really, and I've answered this question a couple of times, uh, what I have said and I'll continue to say that my first priority is the people of New Mexico. So I want to make sure it is a humbling and, and I'm so grateful for this experience. And I know uh, coming into this race with the experience I had from the state legislative uh, body and then as a candidate and a business owner, you know, I'm a job creator, you know, I understand what it's like to sign both sides of the paycheck, but really having those shared values and an understanding of what we're really fighting for in terms of our country. My first priority is the people of New Mexico. And for me, it's always been about relationships, uh, whether it's a constituent or a company or a community. Those are the things that I want to focus on. So I want the uh, voters in my district to know you still have direct access to me. We will uh, prioritize mobilizing really good uh, district constituent services so that the voters and the uh, business owners, they know they are going to have a voice. They are going to have a place to be able to share their concerns and where we can meet and make sure that we're keeping our finger on the pulse. Uh, things happen very quickly. Um, naturally, I would like to, of course, do what we can to start making it easier for businesses to get back on their feet. And I mentioned earlier some of the health care costs, regulation, you know, tax cuts, things that we can do. And then in our state, because it is so rural in this district, you know, let's look at ways that we can give our ranching communities the help they need. There are just so many environmentalist groups. Um, we see that the predatory animals in our state have more rights than the ranchers. And so working with Department of Interior, with USDA, things that we can come and maybe not, maybe not in the form of a bill, but maybe a simple rule change or a, at least a, an ear to hear what we are really dealing with on the uh, local state level with some of the um, issues that are coming out of Washington, D.C. So it's, and I tell you, it, I could go on and on because there are so many things that are important to everybody, but uh, keeping the people's voice at the front and center, that's, that's my main priority for sure. I've always said the people of New Mexico are my special interest group. <laughs> I love that. That's perfect. Yeah. Well, Congresswoman-elect, we just thank you so much for your time today and congratulations to you once again. Well, I couldn't be more excited and more proud and I look forward to visiting with you over and over again and uh, working with the Heritage Foundation and with the Sentinels and everybody because I just, I know there's just some great ideas and some great people that are working so hard for the country and I am now so proud to be a part of the solution, not the problem. Absolutely. We look forward to working with you in the future and having you back on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. This is Virginia Allen, host of the Daily Signal podcast. I don't know about you, but YouTube is certainly one of my guilty pleasures. I really enjoy watching short videos on a variety of topics, so I'm always looking for videos that are actually educational and beneficial to me in some way. And the Daily Signal YouTube channel never disappoints. There is so much binge-worthy content, from policy and news explainers to documentaries. If you're not driving, go ahead and pull out your phone and subscribe to the Daily Signal YouTube channel so you can be in the know on the issues you care about most. You can also search for the channel by going to youtube.com slash daily signal. Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature our favorites on this podcast. Virginia, who's up first? Wally J. Burdowski writes, Dear Daily Signal, Overall, I think your content is on point and well thought out and researched. Hard to find any content that meets those standards. And in response to Rachel Del Judas's podcast interview, 
a pro bono lawyer for Trump campaign, shares what he saw in Pennsylvania. Maria Rose writes, the amount of fraud that Tom Ranieri saw is the result of the left remaking the rules to suit their end goals. I am a poll worker in New York, not for early voting, but the actual election day itself. There is definitely a problem with election laws that are on the books being changed last minute in order to achieve a designated result. This is what needs to be addressed to eliminate these problems. The state of Florida has made major changes to their election system process to ensure that registered voters can vote and eliminate people from voting that are attempting fraudulent voting. We need all 50 states to do this. Your letter could be featured on next week's show, so send us an email at letters at dailysignal.com. Do you have an interest in public policy? Do you want to hear some of the biggest names in American politics speak? Every day, the Heritage Foundation hosts webinars called Heritage Events Live. Webinar topics range from ethics during the COVID-19 pandemic to the CARES Act and the economy. These webinars are free and open to the public. To find the latest webinars and register, visit heritage.org events. Virginia, you have an uplifting story to share with us on this Monday. Over to you. Thanks so much, Rob. Completing an Ironman is a major accomplishment for any athlete. And up until about a week ago, no one with Down syndrome had ever finished one. But last Saturday, after 16 hours and 46 minutes, Chris Nickick made history by becoming the first athlete with Down syndrome to complete a full Ironman. Nickick swam 2.4 miles, biked 122 miles, and ran 26.2 miles, finishing with about 14 minutes left in the 17-hour time frame required to complete the race. 21-year-old Nickick crossed the finish line in a shirt reading 1% better, a principle he and his father developed over the months of training, committing to every day just get 1% faster and stronger. Nickick's dad told the media that from the time he was born, we were told by everyone that he'd never do anything or amount to anything or be able to accomplish anything beyond being able to tie his own shoes. But today, Nickick is in the Guinness Book of World Records for becoming the first Down syndrome athlete to complete an Ironman. And it's safe to say that the young man with special needs has far exceeded the expectations that so many placed on him. Take a listen to the moment Nickick crossed the finish line to become the first Down syndrome athlete in history to finish an Ironman. Nickick is hoping to compete in the triathlon for the 2022 Special Olympic Games, and we will certainly all be cheering him on as he continues to pursue his dreams and inspire others in the process. 
Virginia, thanks so much for sharing that story with us today. You know, as somebody who is a runner myself, but has never done anything quite like an Ironman, I, I cannot even begin to imagine uh, the, the training and work that goes into it. But I really like that that concept of 1% better every day. And what a special achievement for this young man. Oh, it really is. And Rob, I agree. I feel like that's a concept that, gosh, we can all take and apply to every area of our life to just always trying to be uh, improving just a little bit every day. That's That's right. Well, that's a great place to leave it for today. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on the Ricochet Audio Network, and all of our shows are available at dailysignal.com slash podcasts. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as part of your Alexa Flash briefing. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It means a lot to us and helps us spread the word to other listeners. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Daily Signal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News. Have a great week. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Rob Bluey and Virginia Allen. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.